Well, good morning, you guys, the intrepid worshipers that have gathered at First Christian Church. So glad to have you, and, and good morning, everyone online. If you're joining us right now or later on uh, in the week or perhaps today, then it's a good afternoon or a good week. Uh, regardless, um, I'm just so glad that we're able to join in this gathering in some form and uh, be a part of God's kingdom purposes uh, also, you know, when, when you guys came in today, did some of you say, I survived Monday, this shouldn't be a problem at all, right? Yeah, I know that uh, as I came in, it was actually a little bit earlier, and the snow hadn't quite started to come down, so I thought, oh, it's going to be a decent day, and then I looked out, and I thought, oh, maybe not. So uh, thank you for being brave. Uh, some of you, I don't know, I'm looking, maybe you shouldn't have come, uh, but um, uh, nonetheless, uh, glad you're here, and if you see somebody struggling as we leave, uh, please help them out. Uh, maybe just, um, you know, do the, can I help you walk, and, um, and I, I would appreciate it if you do that for me when, when I go. So anyhow, um, right now we just like to take a minute and go into our prayer concerns or anything that you have on your heart today that you would like to just uh, bring before one another so that we can keep it lifted up in prayer. Because I, I will tell you, I've underscored, I've said it again and again and again, God answers prayers. Maybe now, maybe yes, maybe wait, maybe uh, I got other plans and I want to nudge you in another direction, but he's always paying attention. Uh, so it is always good to pray. So anything that you brought today that is a praise, that is a, a burden or something that we can help you with, uh, as we lift up one another. Anything on your heart, Patty? Okay. My friend Shirley Bridge, she's back home. Okay. And uh, she's weak, but she's doing much better. She's been in the hospital, and she had been at Essex. So Good. I'm not sure all what she went through, but okay. she's home. Good. So prayers for your friend Shirley Ridge. I know you've mentioned her a few times before. So glad that uh, things are hopefully progressing for her. Okay. Any, anyone else? As we, um, yeah. We have a baby girl granddaughter coming today. Well, congratulations. All right. Other babies are coming around that time too, from what I gather. So should be a little mini baby boom going on. So that's, that's really great. That's worth celebrating for sure. Congratulations. Anything else, Rachel? I have two things. Gail Jones wanted to have a surgery okay. on Tuesday morning. Okay. Uh, so that's a shame. Oh, did it? Yes, the surgery's been canceled. They have found another spot, and some of the rats like to have these tours. They had a lot of discussion and have decided to hold off on the surgery because they feel that's more palliative and to be more similar circumstances. Okay. So a little bit of a setback for Gail Hill. Uh, we're just going to keep praying for Gail and pray that God will restore her health and for her morale as well, because I know this has been quite a, quite a battle she's gone through. Um, so hopefully 
Uh, we can keep her lifted up. Any any others? Okay. Okay. So you you've had another um, six people. Um, well, I know that that is something that um, is very personal because even though it's your business, you really connect with those guys and become part of your family. So keep uh, Brent and Rachel lifted up. They own a facility, care facility called Allay, and um, you have about 16 clients there, right? And some of them have died recently, and I know you guys take that to heart, so we'll keep you guys and their families lifted up. Anyone else? Rich? Okay. Okay, so um, I know, I can't remember your sister's name. Shauna, yeah, pray for Shauna uh, with Vertigo, Rich's sister. Okay. Well, if there's nothing else, um, let's go ahead and um, we're trying to actually live stream prayer requests too so that we're including everybody both uh, here and online. So if you guys online have anything, please, uh, we do believe in prayer and we wanna, we wanna keep that matter lifted up no matter what it is, okay? Let's go ahead and ask the Lord to be with us as we, um, we join him and, and go to his feet in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we begin this first day of the week, we know that it is, uh, it is, it is in the thick of winter and we are having to deal with a variety of things on top of just health concerns, mobility concerns, all of those things that um, uh, constrain us, Father. But yet as we gather for worship, whether we are here or whether we are in spirit, we know that you are with us, that we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So, Lord Jesus, we ask that it is in your mighty strength that we take uh, all of the needs that we have, and as we wrestle with them, uh, we um, bring, into, in, in, in bring to bear uh, upon our lives, circumstances, challenges, um, your presence. You promise you'll never leave us or forsake us. You are our ever-present help in our time of need. And you know uh, from beginning to end uh, everything that has happened and will happen, but even greater than that for us personally, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are intimately aware of the intricacies of our lives as you have made us and as you sustain us each day. And so we want to lift up these concerns that have been brought before you this morning and pray especially for those who are seeking healing that you would work through skilled people who are called to do those very things through your healing spirit to touch lives as, um, as we've mentioned them. We thank you, Father, for being with Shirley Ridge and helping her through her trials. We thank you for the anticipation of, 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 of new lives coming into the world and we pray, Father, for every mother and every family that your protection and your care, and as you are fearfully and wonderfully knitting things together, um, that all those processes go according to your beautiful creational plan. 
We pray for Gail Hill that you would give her encouragement, help her father to just continue to lean upon you and trust you in a moment where I'm sure doubt is starting to creep in. I pray, Father, that you would be at work um, in uh, the, the, um, the, the people at LA who as a family are saying farewell to another person that I know um, this, this really stings for them. And I just ask, Father, that your grace and peace would be upon them, that you would bless the ministry and mission and purpose of LA as um, I know you are lifted up in that community. I pray, Father, that as um, Rich's sister Shauna battles with vertigo, that you would enable it to subside so that she could regain just things that we take for granted. And Lord, I know there are other burdens that have been brought into this room that haven't been mentioned. You know our hearts, Lord, and I pray that you would uh, tend to those things as we um, carry them and trust you with them. Father, thank you for being with us as a church. It's been such a challenging few years, and yet we know that you are faithful, and your word has played a sustaining role in all that we've sought to do in the confusion and chaos of what we've had to go through, not only as a church, but as a community and as a country and, a, and even a world. And we pray that as we start to focus on your kingdom's presence that brings sources from beyond into our lives, into our church, into our world, that that kingdom would manifest itself in ways even more powerful than we've experienced in the past. And so as we just ask prayer, prayerfully, uh, um, as we align uh, around the Lord's prayer, um, we ask that you would just bless our prayer as we lift it up to you and as we expect you to do the things that you've promised. We thank you. And so would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I sometimes think that as we pray that prayer, we kind of go through the motions, and believe me, I've done that before, but as we pray it, it's actually a condensation of everything that Jesus wants us to prioritize. And in a lot of ways, it readies us for things like what we've gone through in the last few years. And if you pay careful attention to its content, you know that one of the big things is that God provides daily bread just as much as he provides everything else that we need, if we trust him. And as we go into these messages on the kingdom, I think, I think there's a question that looms in the back of our minds. What is the kingdom? When, when is it coming? Has it come? And what does it mean when it does come? And what we're starting to explore is how that actually is a reality in the here and now for you and I. And one of the things that Jesus is pivoting towards is when people begin to ponder the substance of his message, and they start to hear that word kingdom with a lot of baggage that they've learned from just being an Israelite and being a Jewish person, that is kind of out of sync with God's purposes, 
Jesus has to shock them, and he's got to kind of wake them up a little bit to get them to see it in a fresh way. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it seems to happen to me on a pretty regular basis. Even Monday, I don't, I don't, I've kind of taken a break from news and media and TV. I'm just, I could say I'm on an extended fast, so I haven't really watched the weather report. I've heard people say different things about what was going to happen, and I suspect that there's probably something to it. But my barometer every, every morning when it comes to snowfall is the railing on our back deck. I figure however much snow is on that railing is pretty much what we got. And I looked out on Monday morning, and I thought, well, we got about five inches, maybe six tops. So I, I'm going out to start my car, and my first step, I'm up to my knee in snow. And I'm just in shock because I'm thinking, oh, man, I guess I won't be just going off to work right now because... Well, number one, i got to get to my car. Number two, I've got to get all that snow off of my car. And three, I've got to get out of my driveway. So right around about 10 o'clock, as opposed to 7.30, I'm heading into work, thinking that, well, you know, there's probably people going to work today. I discovered that when I got out on the main road, there weren't any cars, and it was slick. And then I discovered when I got to Salem, there weren't any people. And I had thought the apocalypse had actually happened. I thought, okay, Lord, you picked a really good day to just say, it's all over. You're the only one left. Uh, you're, you're just, uh, you're left behind to clean it up. And it was, it was a little shocking for me to kind of ponder the, 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 the isolation and the loneliness of the moment. And, you know, I came into church and I'm like, uh, at least I can just, you know, pull in. And I saw the tractor from the people that cleaned the parking lot jammed up against the, the, the woods out there, dead. And I'm like, that's not a good sign. Maybe there isn't anybody here. He started it, and now his tractor's, and there's nobody there. So I well, I can at least go inside and, and maybe just pour a cup of coffee and reset the day. But you ever have that moment where you're like in a state of panic because you can't find those things that open doors called keys. Oh, man, I lose them more than I care to admit. And I'm like, well, I came all, I did all of that to come into town so that I could not go into the church and then I could go back home and say, well, that, that didn't work. And if you see a theme here, then you've caught something regarding where I want to go with this. And that was as much as I try to be prepared, I just don't think I was ready to start that day. Part of me just said, I'm just going to drive my car back into the driveway, go inside, go back to bed. Pretend it's all a nightmare and start over. But the thing is, as you know, you can't do that. It doesn't go away. And Jesus is actually aware that something is getting ready to happen. It's not a snow apocalypse, but it is something that has that same effect. And if they're not ready for it, it's not going to be a good day for them. They're going to feel like, here I am trying to play catch-up, and it's just futile because I'm not ready. And that really is his primary concern here because in his mind, things are going to be heating up pretty soon. 
And as we've been going through the book of Luke, we know that Luke describes it in a way where he uses a lot of travel imagery. And in effect, he's saying that, and now Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem because something bad is going to happen. And Jesus is trying to breadcrumb them along the way, just giving them little pieces that says, I hope you get what's about to happen because when it happens... It is not going to be pleasant. And the whole time, they're just sort of like, yeah, didn't watch the, the news. Yeah, looked at the sign on the, on the back deck, and it didn't appear to be like it was going to be anything bad. Yeah, stepped out, and all of a sudden, oh, it's on. And Jesus is starting to turn the heat up a little bit by provoking the religious establishment that has decided in their own mind that they, they, they want to they manage their perception. They want to manage the perception of what it looks like. They want to curate their profile of what it looks like to be a righteous person. So they spend a lot of time posing and posturing and presenting themselves in ways that would lead you to believe that if I looked at this long enough, I'm going to trust that the image that they have is actually reality. And what Jesus wanted to do was say, the time of perception management is over. We're now going to reveal that stuff that's happening behind the curated pose and you're not going to like it because there's a lot of ugly there. And his job actually is to speak the truth in love most of the time, but sometimes speak it bluntly because there's an elephant in the room that needs to be called out. And as he's calling it out, it is directed primarily to the religious leaders because God is hugely disappointed about the fact that they've become so caught up in propaganda and perception management and so disinterested in what was happening around them re regarding how disconnected people in general felt from the things of God. How inferior the religious people made them feel when they postured in that way and they posed in this way, and they presented in a way that said, we're all about it. And Jesus was not having it. And we have words that are not really suitable for church that would describe what that is. But let's just say, it's not real. And it's not really the things of God. But I don't know about you, sometimes we're happy to live stories that aren't exactly real. But Jesus has got a big job here. He's trying to create something that is so real, nobody will want to live in a fake world. It'll be so good that they will feel so good about themselves in that space that no one will, will even think about going anywhere else. It'll be so good that people relate to one another in such a way that they're honest and they speak the truth in love and they do so in a way that 
is not threatening, isn't demoralizing, isn't dehumanizing at the expense of whatever it is to make myself look good. It's just a community of people that by design are living like we were supposed to live in the first place. I don't know about you guys, but that's why I started coming to church. I lived in that world, not really sure what was real and what wasn't, what was worthwhile and what wasn't, what was a purpose and what wasn't a purpose. And there's something about reading the gospel that brings such clarity regarding who God is, who Jesus is, and who I am in relation to those two and the beautiful creation that is very broken. And I long for the day when we are to gather in God's new creation and there's no more BS. I'll just say it. And when that day comes, we will be who we were supposed to be to begin with. And Jesus has a pretty tall order in front of him because the gatekeepers to how you understand God have not done such a good job after all. And Jesus is looking at his band of followers and he's saying, oh, it's impossible. Yet with God, all things are possible. And that really is the thing that makes all the difference. God coming alive in their lives as much as he comes alive in our life if we surrender it and every part of who we are to him. But the reality is, Jesus is, well, he's issuing a challenge to his disciples. Total loyalty. Because opposition is coming. And the only way that you're going to go into this and come out on the other side intact is you got to stay close to me. And I would even say that's just true for life, isn't it? So let's pick up our text that we left off on last week, where we read in, in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, take a look or your electronic devices or anything that, that brings it into your brain, perhaps even the screen. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. He's kind of telling them a story, which he did oftentimes to make some points. And in this case, uh, it's a story that all echoes all the way back to, I don't know if, you're, if, this, if this thought occurred to you or not, but when did he say, be ready and keep your lamps burning? When they were getting ready to flee Egypt. Keep yourselves in that place. Sleep with one eye open. When the time is right, you go. So he's kind of setting them up with that. And as he moves on, he says this word, blessed. Perhaps one of the most beautiful and significant words in the entire Bible. Because it is a state of being individually and in community where everything is right. It's very close to that word shalom, like the peace of God. Everything is in order. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake 
when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't how you do it, Jesus. You don't serve other people. You find as a religious person with that kind of power, you have people serve you. Because it's really about how in life you can get things for yourself. But Jesus is turning this thing upside down. And he's saying that the master's coming back. Be ready because guess what? He's going he's gonna to serve you. You're going to be reclining, and he's going to take care of you. And he will come, and he will serve all of the people there, and they'll be shocked because that's not what a master of a household ever did. And we don't have that kind of thing, you know, where you have the, you know, the, the, the Romans called it the pater familia, which is the, the man of the house. He made the rules. He basically set the tone. And you didn't do anything without asking him. And that really was the way it was in that world. And yet the man of the house is saying, every last one of you, I'm going to serve. And people are scratching their heads like, where are you going with this, Jesus? And as Jesus is unfolding this whole thought... I just have to remind you something. God's kingdom way calls for a reordering of our priorities. It really does. And I'm not going to go into everything about those reorderings other than to say it's not how the world does things. I mean, one of the reasons why the, the, the religious leaders had to curate their persona before the public was because it was their way of feeling valued and esteemed at the expense of the downgrading of other people. I'm sure you've never seen that happen before. But that's what we do when it's just a closed system and you have to find a way to posture yourself so that you look like someone who has a lot of social worth. And so you would never think about serving somebody Unless, of course, it would elevate your social worth and you could post it on Templegram. I don't know. But if you take that priority of putting people first and serving people, you find that that is not what happens out there. And if you do that, you're going to get run over. But there's a difference. Because what Jesus is telling them is, if you do that, there is someone paying attention. And that someone happens to be God. And he's actually going to use that posture to advance his purpose through you. And nobody is even going to realize what hit them. And there's so much about reorienting your priorities that are directed towards other people and selfless. That Jesus is trying to basically reorient them towards and so it says, if he comes on the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. 
you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So everyone is scratching their head, including you guys probably, and myself, as we read this at first, and we're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? But there's a lot of stuff that's sort of going on in his world that we don't really have, or do we? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of posturing by people and leadership in ways that don't resonate very well. And there are a lot of lies being told. Maybe, maybe there is a parallel. Perhaps as this wasn't what they call an apocalyptic moment. Now that's a big Bible word, but essentially an apocalypse is simply an unveiling. It's sort of taken like, you know, what's inside and sort of showing the, the, the naked underbelly. The things that we don't want people to see. You know, people say that there's, a, there's, there's three selves. There is your public persona. There is your private persona. There is your secret persona. And Jesus is aware of all three of those characteristics of how we live in a broken world and try to get by. But the good news is, regardless of if that's true or not for you, Jesus underlying posture is I still love you and I actually want to redeem you so that there is just one persona and that is your child of God and you're at peace with yourself you're at peace with that you're at peace in the world around you in a way that passes all understanding and in some ways, it's, it's a way of underscoring we have to die to ourselves. But you may be saying, well, what does that mean? Sometimes it will mean that the stuff that is the garbage that we hide inside has to come up to the surface. And that's not just as a person. It's also as a country. I mean, I would say this is a moment of unveiling. It kind of shows what we sort of sense but didn't have the language for when things start breaking down when greed goes into its excess, when things that um, we thought were trustworthy and stable are actually pretty shaky. All of those capacities that were postured in such a way as being so great, breaking down. I mean, if I had a word for the last couple of years, it would be not working. It's not working, they're not working. Stuff's not working. I never imagined I'd see a day when that would happen because, you know, I grew up in that narrative that said, hey, every day in every way, the world is getting better and better. We're going to space. We're doing all that stuff. And I was pretty optimistic. And yet God is saying, this, perhaps, I don't think God caused the moment that we're in for the last two years. But I think God is saying, but I'm going to use this to reveal the stuff that is broken in this world on all fronts. And it'll be so blatantly obvious that you'll feel it in your gut. And when Jesus was saying these words, he was saying it to a group of people that he knew in about 30 years, 
all hell is going to break loose. 70 AD, Jerusalem died. Temple destroyed. People displaced. Way of life gone. And he's trying to prepare them not to necessarily be like, okay, I saw four blood moons and I recognized this pattern here and that's the sign of the times. There's just one thing that Jesus is trying to accomplish here. And I think there's just one thing that Jesus is trying to accomplish for us. And that's this. The primary purpose of an apocalyptic perspective, that is just looking at life and saying, hey, this is an apocalypse, has always been to exhort disciples to live appropriately, to live appropriately for the present. It isn't, let's, let's catalog the threats, let's figure out what we need to do, let's do some prepping. I mean, maybe perhaps you, you need to do that, but your primary thing is, God is saying, you have to be anchored in your identity in Christ to weather a moment like this, but not only that, for my purposes to come out. And if there was ever a call for you and I to be aligned with the purposes of God, my friends, we are in that moment. And if you miss that, well, then you're like the guy that Jesus is getting ready to talk about next. And I certainly don't want to be that guy. But I'll tell you, God sometimes has to shock us to wake us up. God sees what's coming our way before we do, and he wants us to be prepared for the best way possible. I'll just stop right there for a second and say, I believe this for a long time. I haven't believed it my whole Christian life, but I believe that when you have stuff like this, and I... I don't know if I've even shared this, because I, I don't want to go down that road, but I even had a number of dreams about being a pastor who had to help people during some kind of outbreak. And I didn't know what that meant. I had those prior to this, for probably almost 10 years prior to this happening. And I think it was just God impressing on me, hey, I'm repeating this because it's going to come. It could have been I just ate the wrong thing that night. But it happened enough that I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. But it did sort of fuel in my mind, what would you do if that were to happen? Would you do whatever it cost? And that really was the question, would you do whatever it costs, even if it costs your life? And there really is only one answer to that. As a person who follows God, you do whatever you're called to do. Because this life is not what it is all about. And I don't know, I, I settled Contently in that. I really didn't know exactly how to manage COVID and people's apprehensions and pastoring and all of that stuff. It, it, I probably didn't execute it in hindsight as good as I should have or could have. But I, 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 did, I did settle in my mind that if it, if it means I have to do something that will cost my own well-being, I'll, um, I'm up for it. 
But I think God was trying to drive an even deeper point home, and that was, that is the moment that the church can shine. That the church in that chaos, if they are not fighting and carrying on over trivial stuff, if they're thinking about my kingdom and the fact that I'm doing something in this apocalyptic moment, if they are aware of that, then they'll be useful. And that scares me. And I don't know how to lead under those conditions very well. But I have to tell you, I'm trying. I am trying. Because I know it's real. And I know the kingdom is real. And I've seen enough of it come out of your hearts and minds. I've seen enough people stay here and say, I get the message of the kingdom that you're preaching. I want to be a part of that. And I have to say to you guys, I am thankful that you've said yes to God's kingdom. And it takes a lot of prayer and a lot of wisdom to figure out what to do with that. But I think as we follow Jesus on his way to his own impending apocalypse, we can figure it out. Amen? So, God sees what's coming before we do. And Peter said, Lord, are you telling the parable for us or for for all? Who, who are you talking to? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household and give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom he has. Again, there's that word again. He's like saying, you know, when you hear something bad, they say, you need to say at least three things positive, like a cup, one thing up front, maybe two, say something bad, then say something good. Jesus is kind of doing that. He's kind of showing them that, hey, not to worry. It's not the end of the world. There's stuff happening despite this other stuff happening. Blessed is a servant who is aligned with me in a way that when the, ma when the master comes, he says, we're on board with it. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say also I like to listen to Metallica every once in a while. And probably one of my favorite songs is Sleeping With One Eye Open. Okay, and I think about that. What does it mean to sleep with one eye open? And I realize that Jesus is basically saying here, <laughs> sleep with one eye open, because when it comes, you need to be aware. And I agree. So he said, when evil comes our way, if we are aligned with God, we'll be blessed. Simple as that. Despite what's happening out there, Despite what's happening in the stock market, which we all have perhaps money invested in, despite what's happening with COVID, despite what's happening with whatever thing is creating chaos, and chaos is just a very good way of describing oftentimes evil, if we are aligned with God, our souls will be in order, hopefully our hearts will be in order, mostly. If we are disconnected from God, it won't go well because God will use this moment. And I suspect I'm not the only one in this room who says, yeah, God's brought some ugly to the surface that I didn't like. Brought some stuff there that was sort of hiding in the shadows. That's a good thing. Because he's saying you're now being honest. You're now being real. You're not hiding behind a curated persona because you feel so insecure. Don't feel insecure. Feel blessed because I am with you. If you pray for daily bread, you are, in effect, praying for everything else that you need in your life. 
trusting that I'll provide. So when evil comes our way, disciples, believe it or not, if you're in tune, if you're not just saying, I'm going to rely on the height of the snow, on the rail of the deck as my guide, but I'm going to rely on what God is just showing me in reality, then you'll be blessed. And there are a lot of people right now who have stopped coming to church. They're disconnected. They're finding some other distraction. And perhaps we've not done the best job of giving them a reason to come. But perhaps they are disconnected because God has brought something to the surface and says, you can go hide in a crowd, but I'm still going to bring this to the surface because I love you. And that's going to get in your way, and it's going to grow, and it's going to increase, and it's going to undo you. And I don't want that to happen. So God um, is, um, is trying to help, as Jesus is, is, is saying all these things, help them to see that they have a responsibility for the moment. By saying, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that, steward, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. And he's primarily talking about who here? The religious leaders who had very expensive bottles of wine that they, archaeologists have discovered in the, in, in, in the ruins of beautiful opulent houses that they lived within your sh- or within eyeshot of the temple complex. They were really living on high on the hog, and Jesus is calling them out, and they know it. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will, this is harsh, cut him in pieces, and Put him with the unfaithful. Now, Jesus, is good, are you going to cut him in pieces or are you going to put him with the unfaithful? Because if he's in pieces, I don't know how you can do that. What do you think Jesus is doing here? He's trying to wake us up. He's not, God, God's not going to cut anybody out. And he doesn't want to put anybody with the unfaithful except the people that have chosen to be in that space. But he is trying to tell them you got to wake up to what is happening because you can chart all the stuff that's happening outside of the kingdom and say, we need to do this or we need to do that. Or you can ask the question, am I grounded in the kingdom enough that I can be effective? And so Jesus now looks at the leaders, and this actually has been used a lot for ordaining pastors. Did you know that? It's sort of like, hey, you're accountable. I think every time that Paul wrote something that said, be careful that you don't wind up in hell. I'm pretty sure if he was directive, he was saying that to religious leaders. And a good example is, I think, 1 Corinthians 3. But that's a sidebar because it is something that we have to ponder in our role. And... (laughs) I have to tell you, I had a moment when I was going through this. God, why did you call me to be a religious leader? Because I'm not perfect by any stretch. I'm both those people sometimes. I think God in his still small voice said, yeah, that's the point. Because I want you to hear it. I want you to be sensitive to it. 
I won't even get it. It's how serious. It's not so much about you trying to decide, am I going to hell or I'm not going to hell? It's not even about that, honestly. It is about what, who you need to be when that moment arrives. And if you don't get your house in order, you are not going to be that person. You can't just change that last minute. So he's really talking about our character because I believe that ministry, everything that we do, proceeds from character. And over time, you kind of know. And God's been working on all of our characters, and many of us, I've known you long enough to know, he's been sorting us out, hasn't he? And sometimes God has to shock us to wake us up. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what was deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And he's just talking about what happens in a master's household when things don't go the way they're supposed to. He's not saying that God's going to beat us. He's just using imagery that is very familiar. But he is saying that it is going to beat you up for sure if you're going to be in that space. It won't be pleasant. And then the challenge is, everyone to whom much was given, of much of him will be required. And from him to whom he entrusted much, they will demand more. And we may look at that and say, well, why would anybody want to lead in a church? Why would anybody want to be an elder? Why would anybody want to be on staff? Why would anybody want to be a lay leader? That sounds so harsh. Well, I'll tell you why. Because when you are aligned with the kingdom vision and you know what's coming and you know that kind of community that God ultimately is going to create and you know how blessed that space is going to be, you know that there is something worth fighting for. And you get caught up in it because you trust that the promise is true. And this is a good thing. So let's just recap where we were at last week and where we're at this week. Our resources are supplied by the master. Remember he said to this crowd, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Rest in God. Trust in God. Don't be so preoccupied about what's the threat or what's the fear or preoccupied about the things that the Gentiles are preoccupied about. But know that God is with you. And he will help you if you ask him. Our responsibility in this part of his long sermon is we need to be ready and active. Not just ready, but active. And so for the leadership of First Christian Church, specifically, leadership, by this definition, leadership is stewardship. And we are accountable. But the bottom line is, what really matters is that when God does what God does, you need to be ready. And sometimes he stirs it up on a global scale, which is pretty epic. And sometimes he stirs it up right here. And when he does, he's trying to create enough discontent to say there's a better way and offer it.
And so every Sunday we gather, and I hope that that comes through. If God's stirring discontentment in your life, because he's trying to move you into something and make you part of something that's far greater than what you would desire for yourself in the moment. And my words aren't always good at carrying that freight, but I know his spirit is sufficient to convict. And if he's convicting, I'm asking you, pay attention. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this space and this message series that we're doing on Jesus leading the crowds, the disciples, challenging the things that are propaganda and perception, bringing the truth to the surface. Lord, we know you're doing that in our lives as well. Help us to be honest about the things that we own, painfully so. And when we do, Father, help us to have the grace to know your care in that, to trust that in you we are safe, and that if you call us to deal with these things, you have something better to replace it with. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that that comes through clear now, as I hope and trust that it did then. Help our church to see this moment for what it is. It's really about us being the right people for the moment. Help us to work on our inner game of who we are as children of God. To rest in that identity, to know that security and care, but also to see that it is a calling and a stewardship until you come again. Lord, I pray that you would renew that within this congregation, even as you do it in our lives. And just show us small steps or big ones, if that's what it calls for, to that space. You're breadcrumbing some of us into your kingdom. Others, you're just hitting us upside the head with a two-by-four. And then, and then helping us to see what your heart longs for us to see. I pray, Father, that that will come through as we offer this time, our attention, your word, and our hearts to your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've got more of me, but really you got less of me, because this is not about me at all. This is about him. Every Sunday, we remember an agreement, and every good relationship that's healthy is premised on understanding what the agreement is between the parties that are involved. And the agreement is this, if we trust Jesus with our lives, he will provide what we need. And right now, many of us need forgiveness because we have guilt. Perhaps healing because we have shame. Maybe we've been dealing with things that we just need to let go of. And Jesus says, I'll take that too. When we take the loaf and the cup, as we very carefully take them out of the wrapper, thinking about our agreement, which 
you guys have already done. Every Sunday, the most important part of our worship gathering centers on these two things, the cup and the loaf. The loaf is just a symbol for the body of Christ that went to Jerusalem to face a destiny that would impact lives globally. And that broken body on the cross that said, not my will, but your will be done, also shed blood that said, I'm the sacrificial lamb. If you have sins that need to be forgiven, I forgive you. I'll take them. And then move into that space where our agreement is healthy again, where we follow him, we trust him, we obey him. Let's take and eat. Father, thank you again for the loaf and the cup that remind us of who we are, whose we are, and what we have in your son, Jesus. May his name be lifted up in our hearts this week. Amen. really get what you see I mean we're not we don't want people walking around with earpieces and you know a lot of fake stuff going on it's pretty cool and the point of that is Leonard where are your church keys right now yeah I found a random set they're up in the balcony <laughs> he wasn't joking he's got a real problem <laughs> but um and I also know what we were talking about there's definitely a man at my house and I do whatever she tells me to do. <laughs> so, uh, if you want to stand, uh, we'll sing this last song. Probably one of the most beautiful written songs about why we're all here. So y'all know it. And I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I
died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow he washed it white as snow believe it as we song with the snow. Uh, it did snow a lot, so if anybody needs help walking to their cars, let us know and uh, Patty Pim will escort you out. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, it's, it's pretty slick out there, so if you're going out, find someone to help you. <laughs> 